please all turn to the easiest book in the Bible to find. It's called the book of Psalms. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Psalms chapter 84. Psalm 84. And today we're going to be looking at one of my favorite Psalms in the book of Psalms. It's a powerful passage. And I'm going to encourage you to do this. Is we're going to read chapter 84 of Psalms, verses 1 to 7 together. And as we get ready to read God's word, I'm going to ask you all to stand to your feet. And we're just going to read God's word together. If you don't have it in front of you in your hand, you can read it off the screen. And just to let you know, Psalm 84, a bit of background. This Psalm... A psalm is a song, and this song was written probably about 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Jesus Christ was born. And back then, if you were a Jewish boy, a Jewish girl, grew up in a Jewish family, you knew that every year, three times a year, you would leave the town that you resided in, and you would do a pilgrimage. You'd do this journey to a place called Jerusalem. I would say Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel. It's because Jerusalem was where the temple was where the people worshiped God. It was located on a mountain called Mount Zion in Jerusalem. People would go all the way there from whatever town they lived in to go there with longing, with expectation, with joy, because they got to worship God that way. And see, the psalm we're about to read expresses the longing, the expectation, the joy that a Jewish traveler would feel in their heart as they get ready to worship God. But I believe that this psalm isn't just for people from 3,000 years ago. I believe this psalm is for us today. And I believe that if you will stick with us over the next half an hour or so, that we're going to grasp something powerful that's going to help you with your situation this morning. And so would you help me read God's word in this place this morning as we read Psalm 84, verses 1 to 7. Read with me in a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacah, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Today, before I ask you to turn your neighbor and tell them something, I'm going to tell you the message title for the message today. The name of this title uh, is When the Problem Won't Go Away. When the problem won't go. Is there a problem in your life today that doesn't seem to want to go away? Maybe it's concerning your health or the health of someone you love. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a relationship situation. Well, I'm here to tell you today, if there's a problem in your life that's having a tough time going away, this message is for you. If there's a problem in your life that's not going away, then I hope you'll find some encouragement today. And so, since this message is called, When the Problem Won't Go Away, would you turn your neighbor and just tell them, don't worry, I'm not thinking about you. Don't worry, I'm not thinking about you. Please have your seats. Today, we're talking about the problem that won't go away. Is there a problem in your life that is having a tough time going away? Maybe it's a relationship issue where despite all the times you've communicated with one another, you still go through the same kind of conflict, same kind of argument, same kind of bump in the road, and you're like, I can't believe we're still here. Why doesn't this problem go away? Or maybe it's concerning your future. There's uncertainty up ahead, and you don't really know what to do. And despite knocking on so many different doors, the uncertainty is still there, and you're like, when will this problem go away? See, today we're talking about what happens when the problem won't go away. Specifically, we're talking about what do you 
do with your emotions when your problem won't go away? Because very often I find that sometimes it's not the circumstances itself that make a tough problem hard. It's our emotions that we bring into that problem as well. What do you do with your frustration? What do you do with your anger? What do you do with your disappointment? What do you do with your disillusionment when a problem won't go away? We're going to talk about that today. See, I find that, generally speaking, there are four very common but very unhealthy ways that we tend to respond emotionally when problems don't seem to go away. One is that we worry. Is that we tend to have this way of thinking the worst about the situation, go, what if this never gets better? What if this always is the case? And we just start worrying and panicking and living in fear. One is that we worry. Another is that we complain. We get frustrated. We start throwing this pity party and go, why me? Why is my life so hard? Why does it always have to be this way? And we start complaining. Another one is that we blame others. We say, it's your fault that we're in this situation right now. It's your fault that we're in this mess. We tend to play the blame game sometimes. Another unhealthy way that we deal with problems that don't seem to want to go away is that we lose hope and we give up. And we're just like, what's the use of even trying? It's just going to be this way anyways. Have you ever done that before? Can you relate to any of these ways of dealing with problems that don't seem to go away? I'm here to to let you know tonight is that instead of worrying, instead of complaining, instead of blaming others, instead of losing hope, today we're going to learn four much healthier, more effective ways to deal with problems that won't go away, especially the emotions that we feel when we're in that kind of situation. Look at Psalm 84, verse 6 with me and help me preach in this place this morning. Read this in the big loud voice. One, two, three. It says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Let me ask you a question. What is the valley of Baca? Would you underline those four words? The valley of Baca. What's the valley of Baca? See, the valley of Baca was not a physical place in Jerusalem or in Israel. If you went to Israel on a trip and you're so excited and you try to look up the Valley of Bekaa, you open up your Maps app and you go Valley of Bekaa, you would not be able to find directions to the Valley of Bekaa. If you ask Siri, Siri would be like, Valley of Bekaa? Huh? Because she had to have no idea as well. Because the fact is the Valley of Bekaa was not a physical location. The Valley of Bekaa was a symbolic location. Because you got to understand, Bekaa in Hebrew means weeping. Baca means weeping. And see, the valley of Baca is a place that you and I have been to before. Maybe you're in the valley of Baca right now. What is the valley of Baca? The valley of Baca is that place where you feel the most stressed, the place where you feel the most pain, the place where you feel the most disappointed or disillusioned or frustrated with life. The fact is we've all been to the Valley of Baca. Maybe you're in that place today. And if you find yourself in the Valley of Baca today, when it comes to your family, when it comes to your health, the health of someone you love, when it comes to your future, then I'm here to let you know that this message is for you. I believe that just like Psalm 84 verse 6 says, as they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. I believe that God God wants to use this message to give you hope that you can take that valley of Baca that you find yourself in today and you can make it into a place of springs. You can take that valley of Baca, that place of defeat and disappointment and depression and turn it into a place where you experience life and blessing. If you believe that, say amen. And so that's what we're talking about today. See, how do you do that? How do you go from a place where you feel dead? How do you come alive in a place like that? How do you go from a place where all you see are the problems and go to the same place and find blessing? We're going to talk about that this morning. I want to teach you four ways from Psalm 84, verses 1 to 7, that you can take your valley of Baca 
and turn it into a place of springs. If you're going through a problem that doesn't seem to want to go away, this is especially for you. I hope you can say some good notes in this place this morning. Write this one down. Number one, cry out to God for help. If you want to take your valley baka and make it a place of springs, when you're in a situation where a problem doesn't seem to want to go away, instead of complaining and blaming, instead of worrying and losing hope, cry out to God for help. Look at Psalm 84, verses 1 to 2. Read it with me in big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Would you underline those two words, cry out? Everyone say, cry out cry out. The fact is this, is that this verse we can look at from two levels. The first level is that generally speaking, every single one of us has a longing for God. Whether we know it or not, whether we admit it or not, whether we see it or not, the fact is every single one of us was made with a longing to be with God. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God has planted eternity in the human heart. In other words, in your heart, in my heart, there is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. And no matter what you try to do to fill that hole, with other things, power, money, sex, or other pleasures that you think that the world will make you happy with. The fact is, you will never be able to fill that hole because it is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. And this verse is speaking to that longing in us to have our God-sized hole satisfied by God. That's why it says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God because deep down inside each one of us, we were made to be with God. Turn to him and say, you were made to be with God. You were made to be with God. That's the first level on which we can look at this verse. But there's another level that we can look at this verse at, and that is this, is that when the Bible says in verse 2, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, it's talking about times when you're in the valley of Bacah. It's talking about times when the problem won't go away. And you're like, what am I going to do? Well, the thing to do instead of worrying, complaining, blaming, giving up is you cry out to God. You know, we had a bunch of people, a bunch of friends getting baptized today, proud of them for taking that very simple next step in their walk with God. This is what one of them wrote uh, in, their, in, their, in their testimony uh, application to get baptized. Uh, and uh, we don't require people to share their story on the stage. You don't need, that's not a requirement to get baptized, but we do love to hear when people share their story with us. This is what she wrote. She wrote, about four to five months ago, I was in a constant state of despair. Even though no one knew, debilitating thoughts would drain me of my energy for around two months. This was mostly caused by stress and pressure and overthinking. I thought I was losing myself. I was petrified of the new school year as my schedule is the most packed during the first term. I felt that God speaks to you at your lowest and darkest times. And so during this time, I prayed and vented out my troubles and worries to God, as well as asked him for strength. Like magic, my troubles, my troubled thoughts vanished. Not instantly, but as of today, I'm busy as ever with school, classes, and competition, yet nothing seems to overwhelm me anymore. There's a lightness in me that almost makes me feel free. Because of this experience, I know that no trouble is greater than God. Would you give God a big hand for that right now? Praise God for that. You know, sometimes I'm amazed at how God answers me when I cry out to him for help. I'll give you an example. Is that uh, about 15 years ago, I was living in Taiwan with my wife, and I was part of the worship band at my church, and I was the drummer of that worship band. Kind of scary that, you know, I was actually a drummer, but I actually drummed before. And the fact is this, is there was one time when it was pouring rain, pouring rain, pouring rain. And uh, I remember I was getting to the, the, the band practice early, and I'm looking into my back pocket. I'm like, wait, where's my wallet? 
huh? Where's my wallet? I'm checking, check, 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 check my front pockets. I check my backpack. I check everywhere. I check my coat. Can't find my wallet. I start to get kind of stressed. I start looking around frantically around the drum set. I start looking around, you know, different people. I start checking other people's coats. I'm, you know, I'm just doing, doing all that. And I'm, I'm, I'm checking, and I can't find it. All of a sudden, the worship leader of that band, uh, he starts noticing that I'm acting a little frantic. He's like, hey, JB, is everything okay? I was like, oh, yeah, things, things are fine. I just can't find my wallet. He's like, oh, oh, really? You can't find your wallet? Let's pray for you. And so what he does, he, he, gives me up, he brings me up on the stage this, during the practice. And, you know, deep down the side, the pastor's confession, deep down the side, I was so busy trying to find my wallet. I was like, okay, do we have to pray right now? Is that, is that really going to help? Is that really necessary right now? But he's like, come on, come on, let, let's pray for you. God will provide. God will provide. Okay, let, let's pray. And he, he puts his arm around my shoulder. And all the, 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 the band huddles around me. And, and there's like, like, dear Jesus, we pray for JB. Help him find his wallet today. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. And then you know what happened? About three seconds after he said amen, a little old lady walks into the sanctuary. She is drenched in rain, and she goes, has someone left this wallet? I found it three blocks away from the church. And I was like, are you serious? I looked at it, it was my wallet. And I was like, how'd you know? I was like, oh, no, I just felt like I should come into this church to give someone a wallet. I was like, oh, my goodness. Praise God, you prayed. It's because when you cry to God for help, he answers. Amen. Amen. And, you know, this is the fact, is that does, does God always change my circumstances the way I ask him to? No, not always. The fact is this, if God doesn't answer you the way you want to answer, does that prove that there's no God? No, that just proves that you're not God. That just shows that you don't have control, but that doesn't mean there's no God. That just means that you're not God. Turn to him and say, you're not God, I'm sorry. You're not, I'm sorry, and neither am I. But the fact that you answer, you, you, you pray, and God doesn't answer exactly the way you want, that doesn't show that there's no God. That just shows that you're not God. But the fact is this, I find this, that even when I call out to God for help, and he doesn't answer me in exactly the way that I ask him to, I always find there's benefit in that. Do you know why? It's because when I take the moment to cry out to God for help and to surrender my burden to God, I find that I always get something in return. You know what it is? Peace. There's a peace that passes understanding, even when the situation hasn't changed, even when there's still uncertainty in my life. I can give my burden to God, and for some reason, God gives us peace that passes understanding. Amen. That's the benefit of crying out to God. You don't have to stay in a place of worry. You don't have to stay in a place of frustration. You can give those things to God, and he gives you a peace that you cannot manufacture yourself. It's called the peace of God. Amen. You know, I can be so self-reliant sometimes, depending on my own plans, my own cleverness, my own smarts, my own ideas, but I found more and more as I get older that actually there's so actually very little that I can do on my own. The fact is that I need God's help all the time. In fact, I, we, we, we talk you know, among our staff, team. Every time we pray together as a staff team here at Thrive, we'll pray the same prayer every time, not because it's a ritual, because we really mean it. We'll say often the same prayer. We'll say, God, we need you. We are desperate for you. We can't do anything good without you. So would you please help us today? Would you fill us today? Would you give us the wisdom we need to be the people you made us to be? In Jesus' name, amen. That's what kind of prayer we will pray. Why? It's because we need God and we can't do anything without him. Are you facing a problem that will not go away? Don't just worry about it. Don't just complain. Don't just blame others about it. Cry out to God for help. It's the first step to getting through your valley of Bacah and making it a place of springs. If you believe that church, say amen. Amen. Number two, make God's house your home. 
Make God's house your home. See, why is it important to make God's house your home when there's a problem in your life that won't go away? It's because God's house is a place of hope. And when you are facing a problem that will not go away, the last thing you want to do is to surround yourself with people who are just negative and cynical and complaining and worrisome. You don't want to be around those kind of people when you're going through a problem that won't go away. What you want to do is you want to plant yourself in an environment that's positive, an environment where there's hope, an environment where people look forward, an environment that's inspiring, an environment where we are thankful. And that's why here at Thrive, if there's anything that we are, it's that we are a thankful people. Amen. That's why in the way we talk to one another, in the way we write emails to one another, in the way that we even, you know, like even the way that we you know, kind of give constructive criticism to one another is what we do. We always start from a place of thanks, not complaining. It's because God's house is a place of thanksgiving. God's house is a place of hope. And if you're going through a problem today that isn't going away, the best thing you can do is to make God's house your home. Turn to say, make God's house your home. I find this, you can write this down. When you make God's house your home, it becomes easier to find hope. It becomes easier to choose an attitude of gratitude. One of our favorite phrases is that if you're someone who struggles with hope, if you're someone who struggles to be thankful, one of the most important steps you can take to change in that area of your life is to plant yourself in God's house. Make Sunday mornings here at church the time that you're not going to miss. You're going to protect it with all you got. Make small group the time when I'm going to be there. I don't care if there's other things going on. I'm going to be committed to my small group because this is a place of hope. Look at Psalm 84, verse 3 to 4 with me in a big loud voice. Say it. What does it say? It says, one, two, three. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Before we read verse 4, let me tell you this, church, I need a lot more help from you. I need a lot more help. So could you read it 10 times louder? Verse 4, what does it say? It says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Would you underline those words? They are ever praising you. Here's the fact. At Thrive Church, every Sunday is Thanksgiving Sunday. You know, I know that Thanksgiving was, we celebrated that in Canada, you know, just a a few weeks ago in the States. They just celebrated Thanksgiving and they're not going to celebrate until next year. But how many of us know at Thrive Church, Thanksgiving is every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, through good times and bad, through times of joy, through times of grief, we are celebrating and praising God and giving thanks because we believe that from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And when you choose an attitude of gratitude, there's hope in your life. Amen. And that's why when you're going through a problem that will not go away, you got to make God's house your home. And so let's talk about it right now. Psalm 84, verse 3. What does it say? Read it with me. It says, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Talking about birds here. Anyone like watching birds? Any bird fans here? Uh, I'm not the bird-watching type. Uh, you know, I, I don't tend to go to Vancouver Island, uh, you know, Victoria or Sunshine Coast to go bird watching. That's not my type of vacation. I know what it is for, su- for some. Do you know the kind of birds I like to watch? I'll give you the top three favorite birds I love to watch. One is chicken teriyaki. Uh, another one is barbecue duck at Barbecue Master by Superstore. Uh, Church's fried chicken, oh, that, that looks really good. Um, chicken McNuggets, all right? That's number four. Uh, and, and those are the kind of birds I love to watch before I put them in my mouth, all right? So I'm not a bird-watching type. That said, because verse 3 mentions two birds, 
we're going to look at two birds today. I'm going to kind of withhold my dislike of watching birds, and we're going to look at some birds. Can we look at some birds together? Is that okay? All right. With this, you know, for those who enjoy like National Geographic, the wildlife television program, this is our version of Thrive Geographic. All right. We'll do Thrive Geographic. Okay. So here we go. All right. So let's look at uh, a couple birds right now that verse three talks about. Uh, I'll, I'll use my National Geographic voice. All right. You guys ready for my National Geographic voice? Okay. Here we go. Okay. Um, this is the russet sparrow. Because of the color of its plumage, i.e. its feathers, the russet sparrow is also known as the cinnamon tree sparrow. The cinnamon tree sparrow has a body length of 14 to 15 centimeters. It vocalizes through sweet and musical chirps, which when strung together sound like a song. Oh, is that enough of National Geographic voice? Do you want more? Do you want more? Okay, not, not, not now. Okay. The fact is this. This is a beautiful bird, don't you think? That's kind of beautiful. I don't even need to see it drenched in soy sauce. I don't need to have it deep fried. It looks good just as it is. That's a great looking bird. Now, here's the thing. As beautiful as the sparrow is, let me tell you this. Back in Jesus' day, do you know the sparrow was a worthless bird? You could buy two sparrows for a penny. You could buy five sparrows for two pennies. That was the Black Friday special. And, and see, the sparrow was known as a cheap marketplace item, something that wasn't worth very much at all. Why do I mention that? It's because do you ever feel like a sparrow? Do you ever feel like you're not worth very much at all? Do you ever feel like if you were not here that it wouldn't really matter, that people wouldn't really notice, people wouldn't really care? Has ever been a thought in your mind before, not really sure how much you matter? Well, Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. Read what Jesus says. He's saying this about you. He says this, read it with me. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What's Jesus saying? This is Jesus' very understated way of saying you mean a whole lot to God. You are someone who matters so much to God. Another way of saying it, God loves you and you are of great worth in God's sight. Turn to your and say, you are of great worth in God's sight. You are of great worth in God's sight. That's a fact. How do I know that? It's not simply because it sounds good. It's because 2,000 years ago, when we had a problem that wouldn't go away, the problem called our sin, when our sin separated us from God, when we did things and said things and thought things that separated us from the perfect holiness of God, when we couldn't have anything to do with God, not now, not later, when we were disqualified from heaven or any relationship with God, when we were separated from God because of our sin, the problem that wouldn't go away. God didn't say, well, forget it. I divorce you. I quit on you. I don't want anything to do with you. No, instead, because you matter to God, because God loves you and you're of great worth in God's sight. God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for your sins, to pay for my sins, to pay for all of our mistakes so that nothing needs to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. It's the love of God in our lives. Come on, Shout to God in this place, church. That's the love of God. And so if you ever, ever, ever question your worth, let me tell you this. You matter to God. And if you ever question whether you are worth anything at all, don't look at your bank account. Don't look at your academic transcript. Don't look at your resume. Don't don't look at anything else. Look at the cross. Because that's proof on its own, it's all the proof you need that you matter to God. Turn to him and say, you matter to God. 
you matter to God. And because you matter to God, like a sparrow finds its home in the house of God, a place near God's altar, guess what? You also have a home. It's called the house of God. You have a place where you belong. It's the house of God. It's because you matter to God. There's one sister. She was getting baptized today. And uh, this is what she wrote. She wrote, I've been involved in church activities since I was in grade three. But only in recent years have I discovered that I have a deeper, or I am able to build a deeper relationship with God. Thrive Church has really helped me to discover my purpose in God through the messages shared on Sunday services and in small group. Through these experiences, I am now willing to leave my past behind and to forgive those who hurt me. As in Christ, I am already forgiven of my sins and called to love others. I am thankful because God made me realize that I am saved and that my life is now given a new purpose because of his existence. Come on, give God a big, big hand for that right now. Praise God. Praising God for her today. What can we learn from this? Why don't you write this down? When you make God's house your home, you discover your life's purpose and how much you mean to God. If you're wondering what you are here on this earth for, make God's house your home. If you're wondering how much you matter to God, make God's house your home. Because when you make God's house your home, you discover why God placed you on this earth. To know God, to be known by God, to love God, to be loved by God, and to live this life for his glory. You matter to God. Amen? Amen. That's the first bird we're looking at. Looking at the sparrow. Want to look at the second bird? Let's look at the second bird. It is the barn swallow. I'm going to go back to my National Geographic voice. All right, here we go. Okay. According to the Wikipedia uh, the definitive expert on birds, the barn swallow is the most widespread species of swallow in the world. About 17 to 19 centimeters in length, the barn swallow is found in the continents of Europe, Asia, Africa, and the Americas. It is known for its blue upper parts and has a long, deeply forked tail like so. Okay? And so, that's my normal voice. See, the barn swallow, they say the barn swallow has very short legs and very weak feet which has led biologists to believe that that's why the barn swallow almost never walks and almost never perches on a tree. It's because it's not comfortable doing it. You know what the barn swallow is most comfortable doing? Flying. In fact, there's one biologist who estimates that a barn swallow in a lifespan of 10 years will probably fly about 2 million miles. That's a lot of air miles, all right? Because of this, the barn swallow is known as a restless bird. A restless bird, a bird that can't really sit still, a bird that's always darting this way and this way and that way and that way because it can't really sit still. Why do I mention that? Is do you ever feel like you're a bit restless? Do you ever feel like you're flying in different directions? Do you ever feel like you're so busy and you don't know why you're so busy? Do you ever feel like you're so stressed and you don't know why you're so stressed? Do you feel, do you have this propensity to worry? Well, you worry about your finances and then you worry about your family, then you worry about your friends, and you worry about your health, and you worry about the health of someone you love, and you worry about today, and you worry about tomorrow, you worry about, you know, how are you going to get to church, and what are you going to do after church? You worry about, I'm going to get tickets to Frozen 2, I'm going to get tickets to Disney on Ice, after I do that, what am I going to do with my life? And And you just keep on worrying about all these different things things until finally you're worrying because you have nothing else to worry about. Is that you? You have this, this tendency, this restlessness in you where you just have this tendency to worry and to be so busy and so stressed. You might feel today like a bit of a swallow where you're just kind of in all these different directions, flying back and forth and you don't really know why. And I'm here to let you know, if you feel like a swallow today and you can't find rest anywhere you go, I'm here to let you know there's a place where you can find perfect rest. It's the house of God. I said it's the house of God. Amen. 
It's called the house of God. Psalm 84, verse 3, read it with me one more time. It says, even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Even the most restless of creatures, the swallow can find rest near the presence of God. The same goes for you. If you are someone who's restless a lot, and you're just so restless all the time, I'm here to let you know there is rest where God is. There is rest in God's presence. You don't have to wait until you die to rest in peace. You can have peace right now and rest in God's presence when you come to the house of God and you make God's house your home. If you believe that, say amen. There's one other lady, dear sister of ours now, who uh, got baptized today. Her name is Lily. And this is what she shared. She said, my family believed in Buddhism, but we were always unhappy and full of worries. Yet I found that lots of Christians are so happy and worry-free. The key was my son Stanley became a Christian, and my daughter also became a Christian. And I found that after they became Christians, they changed for the better. That's when I thought, maybe I need Jesus too. And after that, that's when she started coming to Thrive Church. After Stanley got baptized here a year or two ago, then Lily got baptized today to show I need Jesus as well. Give God a big, big hand here this place right now. That is an awesome story. Oh, come on. Give Lily a big hand. Give God, give, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Best is yet to come. Another one, uh, Rowena, she uh, got baptized today too. This is what she wrote. She said, when I was at one of the lowest points in my life, often worried about my future, I find that God is always speaking to me through the songs we sing together in church or the scriptures that we read together in sermons. Because of this, I never felt as peaceful as sitting inside the sanctuary in the presence of God. So I surrendered myself to Jesus. I decided to leave all my worries to God and follow the path God has already prepared for me. I look forward to learning more about God and working on building a relationship with him. I want to make God the priority of my life. Come on, give God a big hand for that as well. That's very, very cool. What's the lesson in all that Lily wrote and all that Rowena wrote is this, is that when you make God's house your home, you have a way to conquer your worries and stress. When you make God's house your home, you have a way to overcome worry, overcome stress, because in the house of God, you have a peace that passes understanding. In the house of God, you have a power that's greater than your worry. And so that's why, you know, there's an ancient theologian, his name is Augustine. He wrote this, a quote I like. He says, our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. Until we allow God to come and fill the God-sized hole in our heart, we'll never feel like we have rest. But when we come into God's house, we make God's house our home. We find the rest that we need. If you believe us, say amen. Number three, if you want to turn your valley of Baca into a place of springs, work with God on renewing your perspective. Work with God on renewing your perspective. You know, earlier in verse three of Psalm 84, we read, even the sparrow has found a home, a swallow, a nest for herself, a place to have her young, a place near the altar. We're talking about these two birds. I got to tell you, over the past years that we've been here as a church meeting in this location, we've never had a sparrow. We've never had a swallow. Uh, we've had other birds. We've had a duck. We had a duck that walked into our uh, sanctuary before by itself. I don't know how he got in here, but, he, but we you know, gently escorted him out after. Uh, we, we had uh, a major issue with seagulls about a year in a bit ago. Can I show you a seagull right now? Uh, oh, man, I don't like seagulls. Let me tell you why. It's that uh, last year in the summer, we had this really interesting issue. There was a baby seagull that could not fly. And it's, it's, it doesn't look like this. It's super tiny. It's like really furry, gray, dark gray. And it's just like kind of like walking around this way. And, and he didn't come alone. He had a very aggressive mama seagull 
and a very even more aggressive daddy seagull. And they'd be propped up on the rooftop watching like a hawk to see if anyone would get anywhere near their baby. And so whenever any of our staff, including myself, would come to this building, we'd park our cars in the front. And it's, even though it's a, just a short distance between our car and the front door, it was like emergency 911 every time we'd get out of our car. Because whenever we get out of the car, as soon as we get, as soon as we get out of the car, I close the door, I hear bird pop over there. Bird poop right there. And then behind me, there'd be this, this, this bird going, rah, rah, and, and dive bombing. It was just, it was just it was a scary time. I, I felt like we could actually shoot a real-life horror movie but just, just with the experience we had with these seagulls. And, and it was one of those things where it was frustrating me, man. I was like, I don't like these birds. And, and, and I thought to myself, what can we do? And so I called our building manager. I called the SPCA. I called pest control companies. And I was like, yeah, like every time we got out, my, my car is a brand new color. Every time I got out, like I, I got polka dot you know, paint job every time. And, and this is the thing, is when no one seemed to help, I thought, okay, I got to take matters into my own hands. SPCA won't help us. You know, building manager won't help us. Pest control companies won't, go, get, won't touch them. And so I thought, okay, what can I do? I thought, I, I looked at my hockey stick. I thought, hmm, maybe I'll pick a fight with Daddy Siegel right now. Or, or I, I thought, you know what, maybe my own dad, maybe he's, I can borrow his BB gun and use that. Or, or maybe I'll, I'll use my son's slingshot and sh- throw some water balloons at the seagull and just scare them off. And, and you know, I just started to think of all these different ways that I could scare off these, these, uh, these seagulls. And then I started doing some research uh, and discovered that seagulls are actually protected species in B.C. And uh, I started looking up animal cruelty laws and learned that if I had actually gone ahead and done any of the things I was thinking about, I would, I would be fined or maybe put into jail for killing a seagull, uh, which would be a very embarrassing thing. Uh, so finally, I decided, okay, maybe I should pray about this issue. Um, aren't you glad that your pastor finally decides to pray? <laughs> so I pray about this issue. And I, for some reason, and not right away, because, you know, I find this, you know, when, when we're all, there's a problem that's not going away, you're kind of just all kind of like wrapped up in your emotions. I find, I find that sometimes I just need to spend time in God's presence. Let not just my face melt from the cold, but my heart melt in the cold. And, and, and I just kind of spend time in God's presence. I'm worshiping God, you know, spending time in God's presence. And after a while, I just sense the Holy Spirit say, leave the birds alone. And I sense the Holy Spirit say one more thing. He said, this problem is like a pimple. The more you mess with it, the worse it's going to get, and the longer the problem will be there. So let it go, all right? Let it go, let it go, just let it go, let it go. And, and so I was like, okay, we'll let it go. And what was happening? I was finally taking that problem that wouldn't go away, and I was bringing it before the presence of God and letting God help me renew my perspective. And so, you know what happened? I started to switch my focus. Instead of plotting the assassination of a seagull, I started to protect, or think about how we can protect the people in our church. And so that Sunday, when we had all these seagulls who were watching Baby Seagull, what we did, we had umbrellas. Not shotguns, not hockey sticks, not BB guns, not slingshots, but we had umbrellas. And every time any person would come up near our church to go to our service, we'd run up to them with these umbrellas. We'd go, hey, welcome to Thrive Church. Come on out. Let me escort you to the front. And they'd be, oh, thank you so much. It's not raining, though. Oh, no, don't worry. We need this anyways. And, and, and we, we go, we go. We, and oh, man. It was so peaceful. People felt so touched. Oh, like people are so loving here at church. Man, they, 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 they even give us umbrellas even when it's not raining. Oh, I'm so touched. The fact is we're just protecting from the seagulls. And, and, but it was, it was a fun day. It was a warm day. It was an amazing day. All because we let God renew our perspective. Amen. Amen. And this is the thing. What I learned from that whole experience, you can write this down. Sometimes our biggest problem is not our circumstances. It's our perspective. 
Sometimes our biggest problem is not the external situation. It's our internal attitude. Is that, you know, the situation is the situation. Can't change it, can't do anything about it. But what's the real problem is, is the way I'm looking at the situation. What the real problem is, is my attitude. What the real problem is, is the way I am looking at how to deal with the situation. It's my perspective. Turn around, it's your perspective. And you know, I find this is sometimes, oftentimes, what we need is not a change in our circumstances as much as what we need is a change in our perspective. How do you experience a change in your perspective? Well, let me tell you how. To gain a new perspective on your problem, draw near to God, spend time in his presence, meditate on his word. That's you working with God to renew your perspective. That's why we come into church and we walk out with a refreshed perspective. That's why having a game time together with God every day is so important and crucial. If you know what the game stands for, say it with me. It's the game stands for the God and me experience. It's that every day you were made to experience God, not just in Sundays, but every single day. If you're not sure how to do that, you can go outside after our service, get a game booklet. It will teach you how to have a daily time with God where you can renew your perspective with God's help, using God's word, drawing near to God. You can go to Thrive Disciple School Level 2. We're going to start that once again you know, in the early 2020 year, and it's about teaching you how to renew your perspective with God's help. That's why we talk about all those things. That's also why when I face a problem that is not going away, one of the prayers that I'll often pray nowadays is, God, give me the right heart and the right perspective to face the situation. Rather than, oh God, change this. Oh God, fix this. It's more God, change me. God, fix me. Before I get so adamant about God needing to change the circumstances, I'll first ask God, what needs to be changed in me? Well, how can I be different? How can my perspective be renewed? Psalm 84 verse 5 says it this way. Read with a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Would you underline those words? Set their hearts on pilgrimage. What does that mean? Set your hearts on pilgrimage. Let me tell you what it means. To set your heart on pilgrimage means to walk with God and to work with God on renewing your perspective. It's saying, I'm going to walk with God through my life. God is not just an event. God is not just a conference. God is not just a song. God is not just me on a Sunday morning. But God and me, we have a relationship where we're walking every day. We're on a faith journey together. Every day matters. Every day counts. Every day is important. And as I walk with God every day, as I spend time in his word, as I draw near to God, as I have my game time, as I do TDS2, as I spend time in small group, as I let the word of God start transforming my heart, guess what happens? I gain a new perspective. Amen. Amen. Uh, there's this one sister in our church who's been going through a painful time in her marriage. And she would say, you know what? Like, I, I don't know why God will allow me to go through something like this. Why such a big ordeal. But as she did the things we're talking about today, as she drew near to God, spent time in his presence, meditated on God's word, started doing Thrive Deceptive School, started doing these different things, these different things that we do to help you in your relationship with God. She started to realize something. You know what? Maybe God has a bigger plan for me than this. Maybe the reason why God is allowing me to go through this is not because he's not there. It's not because he doesn't care. It's because he has a greater story that he's writing with my life. He's got a greater thing that he's going, that's do, he's doing with me and that the best is yet to come. Amen. 
And see, that's the thing. When you work with God to renew your, your perspective, you're going to find you don't look at your problem the same way anymore. You don't just worry. You don't just complain. You don't just get frustrated. You don't just blame others. You don't just give up. But instead, you have a new way of looking at your problem. You have a new way of looking at God as it relates to your problem. No longer is, oh, God, you're punishing me. Oh, this is karma. And we'll get to karma one day. But see, here's the thing. is that We're going to talk about karma one day. But like, oh, God, this is punishment from, from, from you. How could it be? No is that you realize there's a new perspective on the stuff you go through. You realize that actually God has a deeper, greater purpose for allowing this to happen. I'll give you four possibilities. Four, it's not on the screen, but you can write this down. Four things that God might be doing with the pain in your life, the problem in your life. One, he's refining your character. He's making you stronger. He's building spiritual muscles in you that you didn't have before, making you more loving, making you more patient, making you wiser, making you more resilient, making you more like Jesus. Amen. He's refining you through that problem. Number two, he's revealing his power through you to show that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power comes from God isn't from us. It's to show his power through our weakness. Number three is that he allows problems in our lives, even problems that won't go away, not because he's cruel, not because he's not there, because he's writing a greater story with your life. A story that's not just about you, it's about the next generation. It's about you and the next generation that come after you that God wants to bless with that story. And so part of that story is you go through the pain. Number four, God allows pain in your life because he's reminding you that this earth is not our final destination. We have 70, 80, 90 years on this earth, but these 70, 80, 90 years are not all there is to it. It's preparation for eternity. And that's why we don't need to put all our stock in what happens in this life. We can instead fix our eyes on Jesus, knowing that with Jesus Christ, there are beyond this life of 90 years on earth, God willing, there is an eternity waiting for us. And that's the real deal. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 says it this way. Read with a big loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Last point, and this is it. Realize that the problem you're facing today is only temporary. If you want to take your valley of Baca and make it a place of springs, if you want to respond in a healthy, effective way to that problem that won't go away, then realize that the problem that you're facing today is only temporary. See, the mistake that so many of us make is that we act, we talk, and we complain as if that problem that's bothering us has always been there and will always be there. But that's not the case. See, the problem is this. Your problem is not forever. God's love is forever. Your problem is not eternal. God's love is eternal. But we get into this funk where we think it's all about the problem. There's nothing bigger than my problem. It's always been there. It'll always be there. Oh, woe is me. But the fact is this. It's not your problem that's forever. God's love is forever. Psalm 84 verse 6 says it this way. Read with a big loud voice. One, two, three. It says, as they pass through the valley of Bacah, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain also cover it with pools. Would you underline these four words at the beginning? As they pass through. As they pass through. See, what does that mean? Is that you want to have this attitude. If you want to take your valley of Bacah 
and make it into a place of springs, a place of life, a place where you see God's goodness, then you have to have a certain mentality, a certain perspective when you're facing that problem that won't go away, is that you are just passing through. You're watching, but you're passing through. You're not going to set up permanent residence in the Valley of Bacah. You're passing through. You're going through it, and you're growing through it. Amen. You're going through the valley of Bacah, and you're growing through the valley of Bacah. And see, basically you're saying, this valley is where I'm at right now, but I'm not going to stay here. This valley might be happening in my life right now, but it's not going to be forever. It's only temporary. Turn around and say, don't worry, it's only temporary. By the way, when it says in verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Bacah, they make it a place of springs, the autumn rains also cover it with pools. What does that mean? Well, I want you to notice something. Do you notice something going on? Look at that verse again and imagine with me. Water is flowing in two different directions. Do you need to see that? There's springs that are bubbling up. There's rains that are falling down. You see that? Springs coming up, rains falling down. What is that? It goes to show the springs, that's us working with God for a new perspective. The springs, that's us on earth reaching for heaven. The springs, that's us by the power of the Holy Spirit crying out to God for help, making God's house our home, reaching for God, renewing our perspective. That's us, the springs. The rain is God's Holy Spirit. The rain is God reaching for us as we reach for him. In other words, as you're going through the Valley of Bacah, you're not on your own. As you're going to the Valley of Bacah, it's not just you by yourself and that's all there is. No, God is there to help you. God doesn't just watch you, but he covers your life with the autumn rains until you got a pool like the one in front of me. Amen. It's God and you working together. It's heaven and earth working together. It's you and heaven working together to turn your valley of Bacah into a place of springs. Let's review. When you face a problem that will not go away, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with those tough emotions? We don't worry. We don't complain. We don't blame others. We don't give up. Instead, what do we do? Number one, we cry out to God for help. We say, God, I need you. Can't do anything without you. Please help me now. Number two, we make God's house our home. We say, I'm going to make my church the place where I'm going to be. I'm going to plant myself with two feet here. Make God's house my home. Be in a place of gratitude, of celebration, of hope, of thanksgiving. And that's going to help me as I go through this problem. Number three, we work with God to renew our perspective. We don't just stay in the same place, but we spend time with God. We meditate on God's word. We draw near to God. And as we do, he renews our perspective. Number four, we realize that the problem is only temporary. It's not forever. God's love is forever. And when we do these four things, something happens. Look at verse seven. Verse seven says, read it with me. It says, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. See, back in 1000 BC, so 3000 years ago, Zion was the name of the mountain that the temple was built on. And so people would go from their hometown to Jerusalem, go, oh, look at Mount Zion. There's a temple. And that was Mount Zion. Do you guys know that in the New Testament, there is a Mount Zion, but that Mount Zion is a nickname for heaven. Mount Zion is a nickname for where Jesus is. In other words, when Jews back 3,000 years ago read verse 7, they talk about they go from strength to strength on their way to Jerusalem. When we today, with the New Testament lens, looking at the Old Testament, see verse 7, it's they go, we go as followers of Jesus from strength to strength till we see Jesus in heaven. It is Zion. Amen. And what does that show us? It's that 
as you walk through this life, going from maybe one valley to another, the fact is you don't need to go from worry to worry or from defeat to defeat, or from one depressing season to another depressing season, or from one hopeless situation to another hopeless situation. You can go from strength to strength. Amen. You can go from strength to strength because that's the way God made us to go, to go from strength to strength. There's a lot of talk these days about renewable energy, you know, biomass and you know but like you know all these different types of energy out there let me tell you the most renewable energy source in the world it's the holy spirit in you it's the hope the joy and the strength we have in jesus and if you will hang on to god in your valley of Bacah, as you pass through it you're going to make it a place of springs and very very soon that problem that didn't want to go away is going to be your stepping stone to the best destiny that god ever had for your life if you receive that if you believe that give god a big big hand here this place together right now oh come on shout to god in this